We serve a God who is and has richly provided for our needs. And I love that song as we celebrate his character, his way-making character, and how we can trust him in the days ahead. Um, if you've been with us over the last couple weeks, we've been in a new series. It's a new year. It's a new series. A lot of goals being made for the 2020 year. And so want to remind us just of a theme as we get started this morning. When you're formulating your goals, right, because I think we're all making them, whether they're really big goals or they're kind of small goals, we're making those goals. That as we formulate and make those goals, that our desire would be to bring glory to God above the glory we receive from man. And so as we've launched into this series about goals, this truth of God's glory is greater than man's goals, I think should be ever present in front of us. So no matter what goals we're making, may we make it our ultimate goal to bring glory to our Heavenly Father. We've also learned in this series that God has a lot to say about our money. And I want you to hear this. It applies to everyone. All right, because as I look out here, we have a number of middle school and high school and college age, a lot of young people here. But we also have parents of middle school, high school, college age. Right, we've got you know, multi-generation here. And what I want you to hear is that when we talk about money, from God's word, it applies to everyone. Because the easy excuse, students, is, well, I'll worry about money when I have some someday, right? <laughs> or maybe when I get that dream job or that career or I get married. No, the principles that God's word teaches, they are true both now and then. They apply across the board. We also want to say, as we were praying through this series and we were working up to these different messages we want you to know our heart. Our desire in this series is not for you to just give more money to us, the church. All right? Our desire for the series is that money is a reality of life. It's a necessity of life. We need it. And the Bible talks a lot about it. And so our hope, our desire is to inspire you, to motivate you, to encourage you when it comes to money. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, we want to say thank you for coming. We're so excited that you're here. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, we don't want your money. We want you to feel at home. We want you to find friendships here at Maranatha Bible Church. We want you to find a family of believers here at Maranatha Bible Church. We want you to believe in Jesus. All right, so if you don't know the Lord, keep your money. All right, we want you to know Christ. And so as we go into this series, the reality is we need money. It's essential to life. And so before we dive into some new content this morning, I want to read a story for you. It's in a book entitled Everyday Millionaires. But I love this story. It says this. It's a story about Ted and Diane, not Jack and Diane, all right? People over the age of like 40 get that reference. Those under don't. Um, Ted and Diane admit they were completely broke when they got married. They each brought a pile of student loan debt into their marriage, and neither had a strong financial background. However, they had something that made all the difference in the world, each other. Aw, right? <laughs> they had each other. 
From the start of their married life, they sat down at the kitchen table with a basic paper budget, doing their best to live on less than they made and attack their debt. Our starting salaries weren't great, Ted said, but we thought it was more money than we'd ever seen before. After years of living as college students broke, right, grad students, they didn't let their new incomes go to their heads. Instead, they were intentional about maximizing every dollar. First, they saved up an emergency fund, something they maintain to this day. Then they declared war on their student loans, throwing every dollar they could at them. They decided to delay the purchase of their first home until the loans were paid off because they didn't want any distractions. We avoided stuffitis and practiced delayed gratification, they said. When the student loans were paid off, the couple purchased a home and started investing 15% of their income into their retirement accounts. They worked together every step of the way, and neither ran ahead of the other. They wanted to win as a team, and that is what they did. Today, Ted and Diane are now in their mid-40s. They just recently paid off their home. They have college savings accounts for their kids' upcoming college expenses, and they have made more than $1 million in retirement accounts. Ted said, now we are going to live a life full of options while maintaining our commitment to giving to the church and to others. The budget was the cornerstone of Ted and Diane's financial plan from day one, and that hasn't changed now that they've hit the millionaire mark, and they say it never will. I share this story with you because, again, my hope for this message is to inspire you. That no matter where you're at in this financial journey, that God has a plan and his way is best and there is hope. And so we're going to look at a text in Luke chapter 14 today. Luke chapter 14 verses 25 through 33 if you want to turn there with me. Luke chapter 14 verses 25 to 33. It says this. Now great crowds accompanied him, talking about Jesus, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is still a great way off, he sends out delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and God, we ask for your wisdom God, we know from your word that it says that, that there is a depth to the riches that you have. God, there is a depth to the wisdom and the knowledge that you have. 
And so, God, if riches and wisdom and knowledge all belong to you, God, help us to listen this morning. Help us to hear your word. God, I pray that your spirit would help me to preach your word accurately and preach to the heart. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to answer a question before we get started. And that is this, what does it cost to be Jesus' disciple? Um, When I say cost, I don't mean literal cost. Trust me, there's not a salary in the world that can afford that. But there is a cost to following Jesus, right? And so as we look at this passage, as we look at this text, the question is, what does it cost to be a follower of Christ? I think there's three things that jump out at me. First, a true disciple, number one, loves Jesus more than family. Secondly, a true disciple bears a cross and follows Jesus. And thirdly, a true disciple renounces all. So let's talk about those things for just a moment. First, a true disciple loves Jesus more than family. It talks about how if someone doesn't hate his father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister and then come after me, he can't be my disciple. So what is Jesus saying? Is he saying we should hate our family members? No. In Jesus' day, this was an exaggeration. It was a kind of expression where Jesus is saying that we're called to love them less than we love him. That the priorities of our life, we talked about that week one in our series, should be Jesus is the ultimate priority and everything else follows suit, follows behind that. And so a true disciple loves Jesus more than family. We also see that a true disciple bears a cross and follows him. A cross, this is a little foreign to us in the culture we live, um, but in Bible times when Jesus was alive, this was a means of execution. Think the lethal injection, the uh, electric chair, the hangman's noose. All right, this is a serious thing. It's a symbol of suffering and death and pain. And Jesus is telling us that we're to pick up our cross, to bear our cross, and follow him. Life's not going to be easy. Jesus never promised us that it would be. A true disciple also, in verse 33, renounces all. The word renounce means literally to say goodbye, to detach, to part with. And so God is going to call all of us to detach from, to part with, to say goodbye to. Maybe it's your popularity, your reputation. God's going to call us to surrender some of our preferences and the things that we hold so dearly to our lives. God may call us to surrender some power that we have. God calls us to surrender, renounce our possessions as well. So a true disciple renounces all. Another thing we see in the passage is that Jesus is sharing two parables. And if you're new to scripture, when Jesus is sharing a parable, it's really simple. He's just sharing a fictional short story, right? He's just making it up because Jesus was the greatest teacher. He was the greatest preacher who ever walked the planet. He is God in the flesh. And so when Jesus is sharing a parable, he's using creativity. He's helping us understand these big truths And we ought to listen to these parables. But when Jesus teaches a parable, this is really important. If you're interpreting scripture rightly, 
It's important to remember that when Jesus shares a parable, he's going after one truth. Just one truth. A lot of times there's lots of things going on in parables. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of characters. There's a plot. There's all kinds of stuff going on. He's teaching one truth. And so what is that one truth of these two parables? I believe it's this. Count the cost. If you want to be a follower of Christ, if you want to know him as your Savior, if you desire to be his disciple, we count the cost. And so he shares a parable about a king who's going off to war. And before he goes into that battle, before he goes into that war, what does he have to do? He has to sit down, strategize, make a plan, and see if he can have victory over the army that's larger than him. He also shares a parable about how to build a tower. And I love this truth, this parable that he shares, because it talks about a man who has this dream or this plan of building a tower. But before he can do that, if he doesn't first sit down, map out his plan, say, here's how much money I need, here's how much material I need, here's all of the construction needs that have to be fulfilled, if he doesn't do that first, then he might get halfway done with the project, have to close down shop, and everybody makes fun of him. Right? Everyone points and laughs and says, this guy, this guy right here started building a tower and it's left unfinished. We count the cost. The truth of this passage is that Jesus desires a relationship with every one of us. But we're called to count the cost. And here's where I think this passage comes to bear on our finances. Where do we live? The United States of America. For most Americans, not all, most Americans, a huge cost to following Jesus is the desire for riches. It's where we live. We have to count the cost. Are we willing to count the cost of the desire for riches in order to follow Christ? I want to remind us of what we talked of last week in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. It'll be on the screen. It says this, but godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Right? Godliness with contentment, satisfaction, being content with what you have is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we, can take, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Here it is, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, a trap, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is a hard scripture for us Americans. It is. This is a hard scripture for me as I read this passage. This is a difficult scripture for us to come to grips with in our lives. And so here's the question that I'm led to ask you is this. How can we know if we have this desire for riches? The, the unhealthy, the idolatrous desire for riches. If you want to move down into 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, now I think we find the answer. 
How do we know if we have this desire? It says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. It's another word for prideful or arrogant or thinking too much of yourself. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So it comes down to this question, where's your hope? Where is your hope? What have you built your life on as we just sang about? What is the foundation of your life? Have you built your hope on riches or have you built your hope on God? And here's the danger, church, about a series like we're doing. We can go through four weeks of financial messages giving you practical wisdom and things to apply to your finances all along the way. And we can say, all right, that's a successful, that's a good series. But I believe we fail miserably if we don't address your heart. If I don't look into my own soul and my own heart and ask this question, what have I built my life on? Where does my hope lie? The most life-changing message on finances is this. You cannot serve God and money. Luke chapter 16. Now, you can serve God with your money. I believe that 100% and more. But that will never happen unless God has your heart. Unless Jesus has saved your soul. Because he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So does Jesus have our hearts? Because if he has your heart, I believe you will begin to view money God's way. So we've been giving you some goals over the past couple weeks. The first week we talked about putting God first. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the concept of generosity and how God, he calls all of us to give and to give with a generous, gracious, kind, sacrificial heart. Here is our goal for week number three. Live debt-free. Live debt-free free. It's a biblical goal. Romans chapter 13 verse 8 says it this way, owe no one anything except to love each other. I love that verse, that concept. You think about it, when we owe people money, when we owe institutions money, it changes the dynamic of our relationship with them, does it not? But when we are free of debt, when we don't owe anyone anything, it frees us to love them just for who they are. And so as we go through this message, I want you to see as we look at a number of different scripture passages that living a debt-free life is biblical, okay? And I understand in a room this size that not everyone is going to agree with what I say. I'm okay with that. I'm all right with it because I want to show you from God's word what it says. And my hope in this message is not to beat you up. It's not to beat you down. It's hopefully to inspire us all to see that there's a better way to live the life that God has called us to than under the burden and the weight of debt. So objective number one that I want to show you is that becoming debt-free is possible. And so I want you to imagine, again, you don't have to agree with me. You might have a different theory than I do. That's fine. I want you to imagine with me for a moment a world without debt. 
your world without debt. And I want to tell you that it's possible. But the objection to this first line of thinking is this, that debt is just part of life. That's what I know. That's how it's always been. It's just part of life. But I want you to think with me for just a moment. What if debt wasn't part of life? You think student loans, you think car payments, you think credit card debt, you think home equity loans. The list goes on and on. But it's possible to live a life free of these things. And so what if a debt-free degree is possible? Now take it from someone who understands. When it comes to student loans, I've been there, done that. And it's not fun. All right? But by God's grace, we're no longer in that deep hole. We're looking at that mountain of student loan debt. But it's a reality. It's a difficult thing. And there are so many people in this room, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, parents of those that will face these decisions either now or in the coming years. I don't have the time to go into everything. But just for a moment, what if it's possible to obtain a debt-free degree? Just imagine with me for a moment. Or what if a debt-free SUV is possible? All right? Car payments, just a reality of the world we live in. But what if it wasn't? What if it wasn't? What if you could take that money every month and put it towards something else? A debt-free iPhone is possible. doesn't have to be on the phone payment plan, right? You don't have to agree with me, but what if it's possible? A debt-free TV is possible. A debt-free couch is possible. It's all possible. But what does it require? That's where I think our culture gets in the way. Because our culture is built on instant gratification, right? You see it, you want it. There's means to get it through credit and other things. And so you get it. But when we look at the scriptures, it talks about another concept of delayed gratification. Where the things that are worth having in life are many things that we have to wait for and work hard for and trust the Lord for. They don't come immediately. I love what one financial advisor says. He said, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. All right? That's the reality of the world we live in. Most people live with this mindset. We're buying things. We don't have the money. And we're trying to impress people and we don't even like them. It's possible. Or the Bible says it this way. I love this verse. so practical. It says, one pretends to be rich. It has nothing Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Let me say that again. Proverbs 13, verse 7. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. So again, I want you to think this morning, what if it were possible? What if it were possible? And that's the question I want to lead you to now is as you think about your finances, you think about the situation you're in, I want you to consider for just a moment what your life would look like if you were debt-free. Some of you, you're in this position, praise the Lord. And so you know the reality of this. You know the joy of this, all right, the freedom of this. But if you find yourself in a different situation, what would be true of your life? How would your life be different if you didn't owe 
anyone anything. I want you to take a moment right where you're at. Just jot a word or two that comes to mind. What comes to mind when you think about that question? How would my life be different if? How would my life be different if we had no debt? This morning, I want to I give us some answers to this question as we look at God's word. And they're on the screen here behind me. It says this. What if we live debt free? Number one, freedom. Freedom. Two, generosity. Three, faithfulness. Number four, legacy. And so let me unpack these things as we walk through. First, let's talk about the concept of freedom. It says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Right? There is a, an enslaving kind of quality about the debt that we carry. Or in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, it says, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. It's a weight, it's a burden, it's a heaviness. And so the question is, what does living debt-free bring? It brings freedom. It brings freedom. Say that word with me for just a moment. Freedom. Like it just feels good. Like you exhale and it's freedom. The thought of not owing anyone anything brings freedom. Freedom of how we use our time. Maybe it's freedom of how we follow a calling that God has placed on our life. I remember a conversation I had with Dr. Kauser. He's one of my professors at Cedarville. He was in Chuck's cafeteria. It's just him and I. And this was the first time anyone has truly asked me this question. He said, Adam, you're going to be married here in six months. How are your finances? I don't even know, right? And it was in that moment that he, he spoke truth into my heart by saying, Adam, debt, it is a weight, it is a burden, it is something that you will carry and it will hold you back from where God wants to lead you in life. I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. But if you don't have it and the freedom it comes is you can follow the ways that God has called you to go and to lead without this weight trailing behind. It's freedom from anxiety, it's freedom from stress, it's freedom from the burden of work. It's not just about retiring and never working again. It's the freedom to enjoy life. The the burden of, of work is lifted and you have that freedom to pursue the things that you want to pursue. Secondly, we have the word generosity. Generosity. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, it says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. See how that's kind of upside down? One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and he suffers want. Or 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, where it says, The rich are to do good. We read this last, last Sunday. To be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. What's a practical way that we can be ready to share? It's freeing our income of unnecessary debts that steal away our opportunity to give freely to those around us. You could say it this way, that when you tie up your income with debt, it becomes more difficult to live generously in life. And so what happens when we live debt-free? Again, inspiring. These are goals. These are things to work towards. These are dreams to have. 
When you live debt-free, it gives you the ability to bless others like many people only wish they could do. You're able to give like no one else gives. Instead of just maxing out your retirement fund and your vacation fund and your fun money fund and your coffee fund, you actually get to max out what I'll call your blessing fund. Right, that you set aside a portion of your budget every single month and you call it blessing fund because you just want to bless the people around you. And imagine as you go throughout life and you eliminate debt and you're faithful with your finances, imagine that blessing fund just growing and growing and growing to where you have the opportunity to bless the people that God has placed in your lives in ways that you could have only imagined. It's generosity. It's not just about the wealth or the riches when we live debt-free, we are free. We are more able to give to those around us. What if we live debt-free? Faithfulness. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says, One who is faithful is, in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. There's a correlation between how we handle the funds that we have been given. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. I remember this has been probably five, six years ago. My wife and I and our family, we were on a, on a road trip. And I don't know about you, man, but when I have to stop for gas, there's, there's usually gas going into my fuel tank and there's trash coming out of my car. Anybody relate with this? All right, it's like, all right, clean out the cup holders, clean out the doors, everybody pass the trash up. Like, I'm cleaning this thing out because when you got four kids, it's like, it just adds up really fast, all right? And so we're on a road trip, stop, we need some gas, gas is going in, trash is going out, we pay for it, we're back on the road. Probably an hour later, I go to look for something in my door. It's an envelope with money in it. I had thrown it away, right? Now, we were far enough down the road where we couldn't turn back, and fortunately, it was only like $10. But still, the principle, I'm like, I literally just threw $10 in the trash can, right? Either that will go to the landfill or someone is going to find it and have a really good day, right? We don't do this on a regular basis. I want you to know that. Um, and I don't think many of us ever do this literally, but let's think about how we spend our money. We may not ever take $10 and put it in the trash can. But sometimes when we spend it, we are wasting it and not using it in the way that is most beneficial. Right, because really when we talk about finances, I shared this in the auditorium a couple weeks ago. It really starts with our understanding of who God is. It's our theology and if God owns everything, if he's the creator of everything, and I believe the Bible teaches that he is, then that means he owns, he is the owner of every dollar that we have. And he has entrusted those funds, he has entrusted that money to us, and the expectation is that we would be wise stewards of that money. If every dollar belongs to God, then it matters how we spend every dollar it's about our obedience. It's about how we're using the resources that God has given to us. And so what does living debt-free bring? It's this idea of faithfulness. You can glance back over your life, and if you're like me, it's not been perfect, right? Think about your car. 
I heard this this week as I was kind of preparing for this message, this illustration. In your car, you have a rear view mirror, right? And you have a windshield, okay? The rear view mirror is not meant to be looked into all the time. What happens if you look in the rear view mirror the entire time you're driving? You're going to get in an accident because you're not looking ahead and seeing what's in front of you. But many times when it comes to our finances or when it comes to our lives in general, we spend our lives just staring in the past full of regret, guilt, shame for all that we have done wrong. When God is asking us to look out the front window, see what's before you. Yeah, it hasn't been perfect. Yeah, you've made mistakes. But God has a plan for you moving forward. And it is possible to live your life in a way that glorifies God. And so what does living debt-free bring? It brings no regrets. It brings no shame. Why? Because God, when we live our lives in a faithful way, he looks down from heaven and is pleased with us. Isn't that an amazing concept? The creator God of the universe, perfect for all of eternity, looks down at broken humanity. And when we live our lives in faithfulness, it pleases him. Our obedience brings blessing to our lives. Lastly, what if we lived debt-free? It's the word legacy. Legacy. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, it reads, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Translation, grandkids. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says it this way, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse, worse than an unbeliever. I'll state it positively. Here it is. Living debt-free will completely change your family tree. It will impact your family and the lives of those that God has entrusted to your care for generations. It will. Because the money you're not putting towards your debt throughout the course of your life will be able to go to the legacy that you will leave behind. And again, it's not just about the dollars. It's not just about the wealth that we can build. It's about the lives that we can impact. And and money is no more than anything else that we have at our disposal. It's a tool that God has given us to bring glory to his name and to see lives changed for his son, Jesus Christ. It's about legacy. And so I want to ask a number of questions. Again, these are what-if questions. All right, again, I want to inspire you. I want to motivate you to think and to not only think, but to dream of what your life could look like if it did not include this aspect. What if you were able to help your kids and your grandkids get through college? What if you were able to retire with dignity, enjoying those final, the final third years of your life, right? You, re- you retire and you have opportunities before you and you want to enjoy those with you love most. What if you were able to retire early from your career, not just to pick up seashells in Florida, but to pursue a dream calling, to spend unhindered time with those that you love most. Maybe it's to pursue mission work and to give your life for the the good of God's glorious name in those final years of your life. What if? And here's where it's exciting because your dream will look different than mine. Right? God gives a plan for all of our lives 
And when we live according to that plan, it goes better. So what does living debt-free bring? It brings legacy. It gives us the ability to dream big. Freedom, generosity, faithfulness, legacy. These are incredible things that we should strive for. But there's also a reality. And the reality is this. Living debt-free will require discipline. It will require hard work. And it won't be just for a short time or this little sprint. No, it's for the long haul. It's a marathon. It's about the longevity of our life and the kind of person, the integrity, the faithfulness that we have. That's why it says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 25, it says, The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. It's about discipline when it comes to living debt-free. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11, it says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Right? It's hard work. It's diligence. It's taking the time to think wisely about these matters. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, it says, The plans of the diligent will lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Discipline, hard work, for the long haul. So, if you want to live debt-free, I want to leave you with five practical next steps on how to do that. Here they are. Action steps. Number one, stick to a monthly budget. I read this week, one financial advisor put it this way. He said, your greatest wealth-building asset is your income. When you tie up your income, you lose. Your greatest wealth-building asset is your income. To state that from a biblical standpoint, your greatest generosity building asset is your income. When we think about budgeting, it's a, it's a complex thing in one way, but it's very simple in another. I would maybe describe budgeting as this. It's been described this way before, but it's trying to get your five-year-old self to stop spending your money, Right? Have you ever been into a gas station with a five-year-old? Yeah? Like you go in and there is not a single thing on the shelf that they do not want. It's all fair game and they want it all. And when we create budgets, what we're actually doing is we are training, we are disciplining ourselves to stay within our means. It's getting that five-year-old self to stop spending all of our money. It's a budget. Yet 57%, this is what the statistics show, 57% of households do not have a budget. And if they do, they're not sticking to it. And budgets get a bad rap. A lot of people think of budgets as like a straitjacket, like it's so hindering and it holds me back and I can't do what I want to do. But when budgets are done right, it's freedom. It's freedom. It's freedom to give to those that God has placed in your life, that you can be generous it's freedom to save for things that you really want to enjoy, things like vacations, cars, retirements. Right? We, we have the freedom to do these things, and we have the freedom to spend it. And so students, you can have a sheets budget, okay? Right? It's okay. Set up a budget where there, you can say, all right, I'm going to go to sheets, or I'm going to go to Starbucks this month, but I'm not going to overdo it. When I've spent this much money, the money's gone. Or, adults, we can have a steak budget, right? 
You enjoy a good steak like I do, right? I don't eat steak that much. But if you plan and you budget wisely, you can enjoy the life that God has given to you. So some resources. If you need help getting started, there's a lot of men and ladies in our church that would love to help. And so if you're early on in this process and just want to sit down with somebody, let me know and I can direct you to someone who can help you sort through some of your questions. But in addition to that, there's some great resources out there available to anyone. Consider the Every Dollar app. It's an app that you can, you can get from the app store and you can put in all of your budget categories. You can allocate all your, what you're doing and then you can even track your expenses throughout the month to see where you're at. So I, I suggest that. Uh, some of you are Excel wizards. I'm not, okay? Uh, but you can use tools like Excel and other documents to keep track of your monthly budget. Maybe it's just pen and paper. You're sitting down at the kitchen table, pen and paper, writing things down, tracking what you are spending. But the principle here is, here is very simple. It's don't spend money that you don't have. Here's the second one. Save $1,000 for emergencies. I say this because the statistics show that 50% of Americans have less than one month expenses in savings. So the reality for most folks is living paycheck to paycheck. There's no buffer. Talked about this word a couple weeks ago. There's no margin for error in your life. And so save $1,000 for emergencies. Thirdly, pay off all debt. Now, I would qualify this by saying this does not include your primary mortgage. That would be in a separate category, right? That's an investment. You're building equity. It's the home that you're raising your family in. But all other debt, I would recommend paying off. So how bad is it is the question. A lot of times we think, you know, well, ignorance is kind of bliss. Not on this one, okay? How bad is it? Own it. And then you're able to move forward. I remember sitting down at our kitchen table when, when Lydia and I first got married. And um, I remember the kitchen table. It was a hand-me-down from my great-grandma Blosser. Um, had four chairs. They were green vinyl chairs. It was awesome, okay? But I remember sitting there in our kitchen and, and going to all of our accounts and seeing where we were at. And there's in that moment a sense of hopelessness, Right? You're like, how in the world are we ever going to get out from under this? But in that same moment, there was hope because we knew what we were working with and we started formulating a plan. Pay off all debt. You gotta know what you have. You gotta own it. Take responsibility for it. Make a plan. Get to work. You know, intensity and urgency in these matters are key. I love what Proverbs chapter six, verses one through five says. It says, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have given pledge for a stranger, in other words, if you're in debt, he says, give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. I mean, how fast do you think that gazelle is running if the hunter is chasing him down? I'd imagine he's running pretty fast. How fast do you think that little bird is flying if someone's trying to shoot him? And again, very fast. And so there is the desire here when we realize what we owe, when we realize what debt we're in, we've made a plan, we get to work. And so sometimes drastic measures are called for and right. Budget cuts, side hustle jobs, selling stuff. If you've got savings stored up in other places, 
Not retirement. I'm saying just normal savings. Take that and attack your debt because you'll be better for it moving forward because you're completely debt-free and now you're able to move forward with success. So these are short-term solutions, I believe, for a long-term gain. It's not a long-term lifestyle that I would suggest. Pay off all debt. Fourthly, build a fully funded emergency savings. This is three to six months of living expenses. Uh, For most families, this is $10,000 roughly. But if you're a student or if you're uh, a single person, your expenses might be a lot lower than this. So whatever it would cost you to live for three months without any income, I would recommend that you get this in place. Why? Again, it's margin. It's that buffer. And so when the transmission goes out in your car or the furnace goes out in your house, you're not paying for those emergencies or needs in life with more debt. It's a practical way to keep debt at bay once you've paid it off. So that's number four. And lastly, resolve to live debt-free moving forward. Because many people who get out of debt will find themselves going right back into debt if they're not careful. So they pay off the student loans, and as a reward, they drive on to the car lot and get a huge car loan. And so you're just exchanging your debts, and you're never truly getting out from under it. So resolve to live a debt-free life moving forward. Financial wisdom is very simple. It's not rock and science. It's simple math. Addition, subtraction, living on less than you make, and using the resources that God has given you for his glory. So what does it cost to be Jesus' disciple? Count the cost, right? There are things in our lives that will hold us back from saying yes to Jesus. And if we're honest, if we take an honest look at the culture we live in and even the lives that we lead, the cost for many of us will be that desire for riches. But I'm here to tell you, friends, Jesus Christ, in a relationship with him, the cost will always be worth it. It will always be worth the cost. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word and how it speaks so practically to us. We ask God for your wisdom on how we might seek to apply these things to our lives. I pray, God, for everyone who's here this morning, that, God, that they would pursue a life of freedom, of generosity, that they would pursue a life of faithfulness and legacy, and that ultimately, God, that they would seek to worship you from their hearts. And that what's in their heart would come out in the way that they live. That they would be faithful stewards of the resources that you have given. God, you have been so gracious and kind. You have provided for our needs in incredible ways. And God, we thank you for it. We ask this all in the powerful name of Christ.